7,000 nurses at two major hospitals in New York City are on strike in yet another expression of the fighting spirit growing across the labor movement in the United States. The nurses are protesting inadequate pay and extreme short staffing that leads what they call to unbearable conditions, a situation that has become all too common across the country as the capitalist healthcare system reels in the wake of the pandemic. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. We are excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us again for our regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy and the state of the working class. I'm your host, Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week, every week, thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to this show. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. Richard Wolf, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here. Well, very, very glad to have you. I mean, nurses in New York City at Manhattan and Bronx hospitals on strike, thousands of nurses. Generally speaking, healthcare workers don't want to go on strike. They don't want to go on strike. Well, generally speaking, workers in, you know don't want to go on strike because they don't want to lose the pay. But healthcare workers in particular don't want to go on strike because they are dealing with sick people every day. They're dealing with people who need healthcare services. They are finely attuned and sensitive to the needs of their patients. For them to go on strike, it's a big deal. And it's also a reflection of a growing trend in the labor movement that the unions that have been on strike in the recent period are the, we might call them the new labor movement. Teachers in West Virginia, in Oklahoma, and then all around the country, now healthcare workers, not only are they service workers or workers dealing with the public, predominantly women workers. Anyway, let's talk about it. Yeah, I think that what I can perhaps offer beyond the appreciation that I feel, because I believe these striking nurses really are heroes and heroines. They're the ones standing up to a system that is broken. And by that, I mean the medical care, health care system in this country, which most of the doctors that I talk to, even they understand the system is broken. Uh, 
broken because so many people are uninsured, broken that every time you have a medical bill, you begin to struggle with the doctor who struggles with the insurance company who struggles with you in an endless process that only makes whatever illness you have or injury you have that much worse. It's broken. It's broken. They don't pay the people enough. They do not give them working conditions that are tolerable. But I want to look at a broader dimension, if I can, of this situation beyond the immediate urgency that produced and provoked this strike. And I want to do it on two levels. Number one, we have asked our healthcare workers over the last three years to do life-threatening work every day. Let's be honest. These are the most threatened frontline workers. Every day, going into hospitals and clinics, which are full of people with serious diseases now made worse by the COVID-19 pandemic. We've asked them to help those people, to service those people, to get up very close and personal to all of those people, risking not just their own lives and their own health, but that of their loved ones to whom they return at the end of every day spent in that hospital. We've gotten unbelievable service from these people. We've even celebrated them verbally by saying, you're the first responder, you're the exceptional worker, you're the really essential worker, all those words. But when it came to back them up by giving them the proper conditions to do their job and paying them a decent wage, we didn't do it as a nation. We didn't do it as a healthcare system. And that's because it's a for-profit system. It's not a system designed to reward the people who give us such extraordinary service in such a difficult time. Oh, no, no. That would be a different reason to pay people. We don't do that here. We pay people if it's profitable for the employer, in this case, the hospital or the medical practice or whatever it is. A profit-based system is nickel and diming, getting away with too few nurses in the emergency room, getting away with paying a little less, getting away with demanding an extra few minutes here, an extra hour there, counting on the goodwill and the decency of the nurses. There's something fundamentally wrong in a system that works like this. And the second level I want to talk about is why it's working like this, our system, for healthcare workers, but for everybody. And the answer is we are going through, and we have to understand it, difficult and painful as it may be, we are going through the decline of American capitalism and the American empire. Look, Every other empire in the history of the world, the British, the Dutch, the Greek, the Roman, the Persian, the Chinese, I could go on. They all declined eventually. Why would you imagine that the American empire, the absolute dominance of, over the world economy by the United States for the last 75 years, maybe even 100 years, 
Why would you imagine it didn't come to an end when every other such empire, every other country that ever was in that kind of a dominant position for a while lost it? And we are in the process of losing it. For the first time in 100 years, we have a real economic competitor, the People's Republic of China. Let's remember that. They are the emerging economic power. The U.S. is declining. And why do I tell you this? Because it explains the nurses' strike. And here we go, and then I'll stop. When you have a declining empire, the people who sit at the top of that empire, the super rich, the political leaders, the ones who run the country, try very hard to not suffer personally the decline of the empire they are overseeing. They push the costs, the burdens, the difficulties of a declining empire onto those beneath them in the pecking order. The owners of the companies lay off the workers they can no longer profitably employ. The government tries desperately to hold on, but lacks the resources, and so it has to go into debt. The United States government has gone into levels of debt never imagined before in this country in peacetime. And here we are doing it again and again and again. And so the people at the bottom are the ones upon whom the costs of a declining empire are dumped. That's why the hospital administrators don't hire enough nurses to make the work doable. That's why they can celebrate how essential the nurses are and underpay them. That's why they can respond to the nurses saying, we've been through a horrible pandemic. We are now being hurt by a raging inflation. And you don't pay us on top of it? It is too much. And that's why people strike. They never just strike over the dollars and cents. They strike when you take away from them not only the means of a decent livelihood, but the means of getting up in the morning and feeling good about yourself and feeling good about the work you do and feeling good about the results, you're taking it all away from more and more people as those at the top hold on in a declining situation. That has to be understood or else we're going to see more and more of these strikes and of these revolts by the working class in the United States, whether it's quiet quitting, whether it's literally quitting your job, whether it's forming a union where none existed before, or whether it's striking. And if you want proof of what I'm suggesting, then take a look at Great Britain, where the strikes are wild beyond what we have here, including, among others, by the way, nurses, as the whole national health system there crumbles because conservative governments have withheld the funds needed to make it a decent system as it once was. So we are part of a global process of declining capitalisms that are taking out their decline on those least able to defend themselves, leaving those people with no choice but to organize, collectivize their efforts 
strike and fight back so they are literally not ground down into the dust. Richard, I'm looking at CNN's coverage of the strike. Here it is. I want to read a couple sentences. More than 7,000 nurses at two major New York City hospitals walked off the job Monday, arguing immense staffing shortages are causing widespread burnout and hindering their ability to properly care for their patients. The nurses say they are working long hours in unsafe conditions without enough pay, a refrain echoed by several other nurses' strikes across the country over the past year. The union representing the nurses said an offer of 19% pay hikes isn't enough to solve staffing shortages. Now, that's important because, you know, people hear 19%. Oh, that sounds like a lot of money. But if you're working in a situation where you're from the moment you clock in to the moment you leave, and that could be an eight-hour shift, a 10 for many nurses, 10, 12, even longer hour shifts, and you're on your feet and you're dealing with sick people and you're going from bed to bed to bed and people are not just sick, but their families are there. Their families are, want answers. I mean, you can't get a more stressful environment. And again, these are long shifts. Now, I want to say all that, but then give our audience and ask you about another fact. And it's really interesting. Here's the fact. U.S. healthcare spending grew 2.7% in 2021, reaching $4.3 trillion or $12,914 per person as a share of the nation's gross domestic product, the GDP. Health spending accounted for 18.3%, meaning almost one fifth of the U.S. economy is healthcare. These nurses are working 10, 12-hour shifts, not enough pay, overburdened. They need more nurses to join with them and other healthcare professionals. So obviously, there's a lot of money being spent and a lot of money being taken. I mean, when it's one-fifth of the economy, $4.3 trillion. And I I looked at a thing that our kids get in school. It's called homework.study.com that says, asks the question, why is healthcare such a large percentage of the U.S. GDP? Here's the answer, Richard. You're going to love it. I know you are. About 18% of GDP has been allocated to the healthcare. In the past, the U.S. has experienced a high mortality rate due to poor quality of healthcare services. Here's the bold part the huge spending is meant to ensure that the population is healthy. And hence, the total output of the economy is maintained this high. That's what our kids are learning in school about the fact that this is one-fifth of the GDP, one-fifth of the U.S. economy, $4.3 trillion. No, that's not why we're spending that much. More than any other country spends on healthcare services, the difference being in the other industrialized economies, you don't get a doctor's bill at the end. And even for people who are on Medicare, you get lots of You pay a lot of money every month, and then there's deductibles, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, let's just bounce off of that a little bit. Okay, two quick comments. Number one, the claim that offering nurses 18% for a contract of years into the future. Last year alone, plus this year, that's 2022 plus 2023, prices 
will go up. They already have half of what I'm about to say, but the other half is coming this year. Eight and a half percent last year, probably seven and a half percent this coming year. That takes care of the so-called increase. Before they get it, it will be gone in the higher prices they have to pay. You're not giving them even enough to stay ahead of this inflation, let alone making up for the underpayment that they currently suffer and have suffered for years. So giving out these numbers as if they were a lot is a kind of mockery. It's a kind of exploiting the fact that some folks may not know, even though how could you miss it in the grocery store, that prices are going crazy. Giving you 18% is giving you barely enough to keep up with the inflation. It doesn't deal with the problems the nurses have said are the difficulties they face. Number two, yes, the United States pays more for health care than any other country. But you know what our results are and the quality of our health care? Mediocre at best. Over the last few years, the life expectancy of the United States has fallen for the first time in decades. We are declining in the quality of health care, and it wasn't very good to begin with. We pay more than anybody else, and we get mediocre results. Guess what? If any rationality applied to our health care system, we would long ago have noticed something. We're the only country that doesn't have a national health care system for everybody of the advanced countries. And indeed, many underdeveloped or emerging countries have national health care. We're the only one who doesn't. We pay more than everybody else, and our medical care results are mediocre. That's the truth, and they can't possibly justify it, which is why they have to make spend the money to get elementary school teachers to basically lie their way through in order to hopefully play on the population and pull this scam. We have a medical industrial complex. They are able to jack up the prices of medical insurance, hospital stays, doctor visits. I'm covered by a private insurance from my employer, but I pay more in deductibles and co-pays than I ever did in my life. They go up every year. This is a hustle perpetrated by a monopoly medical care system, and we all pay it until, like the nurses, we stand up and say no more. One last point that I want to cover, really important. We've talked about it in other episodes of the show, but I want to go back to it because I think it says so much. And I'm glad you raised the declining life expectancy. I mean, it was going down already before the pandemic. Now it's really gone down, gone down almost two years. And it's now down to the level that it was in 1996. So we're talking about in the last 29 years, life expectancy had gone up for a little while. Now it's back to where it was 29 years ago. China had a life expectancy in 1949 when the Communist Party came to power. It had a life expectancy of 36. Now, when the pandemic started, and they had no advance warning when it broke out in Wuhan, it was a very virulent and a very much more dangerous variant of COVID than the current Omicron and its subvariants. 
But, you know, China not only was able to respond on an emergency basis and mobilize the country, but China's life expectancy went up during the same time period. So now China, which had a, a life expectancy of 36 just in 1949, that's not so long ago, a little bit more than 70 years, is now at 78 years life expectancy. And the U.S., the richest, quote, richest country in the world, is at 76 years. So now China has gone ahead of the United States. Here's the thing I want to go back to, though. And it says so much about the point that you make over and over and over again. And I don't mind the redundancy because people have to like get it in their heads because they're not going to get it from the mainstream media, what the problem is, even if the mainstream media covers some of the issues. And when I'm talking about the mainstream media, I'm looking at the New York Times, August 2021. Here's the headline, maker of popular COVID test told factory to destroy inventory. Subtitle, one of the leading producers of rapid tests purged supplies and laid off thousands of workers as sales, get it, sales, dwindled. Weeks later, the U.S. is facing a surge in infections with diminished capacity. Here's the, a couple more sentences. For weeks in June and July, workers at a main factory making one of America's most popular rapid tests for COVID-19 were given a task that shocked them. Take apart millions of the products they had worked so hard to create and stuff them into garbage bags. Soon afterwards, Andy Wilkinson, a site manager for Abbott Laboratories, the manufacturer, stood before rows of employees to announce layoffs. The company canceled contracts with suppliers and shuttered the only other plant making the test. In Illinois, dismissing a workforce of 2,000, he said to the workers, the numbers are going down, saying it wasn't their fault. It's all about money. Anyway, your comments in our final topic. Well, again, I don't mean to, to repeat it, but... Otherwise, I'd be making up stories and you wouldn't need me and want me to do that. If your goal in life, if your dominant concern is to be a profitable business, then you do what the rest of us can see is irrational. You make decisions about jobs. You make decisions about buying your inputs. You make decisions about pricing your outputs. All the things we live with are decisions in the business world made by people who are not concerned about the prices we pay or the jobs we do or do not have or the conditions as their primary issue. Their primary issue is profit. We know that. They tell us that. They teach them that in business school. We are a profit-driven system. And the outcomes we face, like a broken healthcare system, like our nurses going out on strike to get the decency that should have been given them as their rights, we face that because a profit-driven system doesn't work in this country. It's questionable whether it ever did, but it hasn't for the last 25 years. And the real question this strike forces all of us to ask, this system is going down. Will we let it take us with it? Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System. 
When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's R-D-W-O-L-F-F.com. You're listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.